Let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, we just praise you and magnify you because you are God. You are Jehovah. Lord, there is no God like you. As we sang, there is no God like you. You are the one true God. You are faithful. You are in control of all things. You hold the earth in the palm of your hands. And Father, we surrender our lives to you. We surrender this service to you. Pray that your will would be done. Pray that your name would be exalted, that you would be glorified. May we lift up the name of Jesus, your glorious Son, our Redeemer. And I just pray, Lord God, that your word would be spoken, and I pray that it would reach fertile ground this morning. Father, I pray that your word would be a seed planted in the heart that you've prepared today. Father, that it would grow and produce great fruit for your kingdom. Father God, that it, your word would speak to that soul that might be hurting today and bring relief from the pain. But I just pray, Lord, that every word that is spoken would be for your glory and for your honor, Father God. Just bless us today with your spirit and your presence. In Jesus' precious name, amen. You know, Karen said there, uh, as she began, that, you know, there's, she said there's no word or action good enough or sufficient enough to express our gratitude to God to express our gratitude for what He has done for us. You know, we're going to look to Luke chapter 7 this morning, and we're going to read about a story about a woman that was expressing her gratitude. How gracious she was to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an amazing example of gratitude. It's just a wonderful story. And I titled it, Forgiven Much. I could have titled it many things. Loved much, forgiven much. It's an amazing story. Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him, weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself. So he said this in his mind. He didn't speak it out loud. He said to himself, saying, This man, speaking of Jesus, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who was touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus, of course we know, he knew what he thought, even though he didn't speak it out loud. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, You have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them 
with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little was forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table, so there was more than just Jesus and Simon, those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Isn't that a wonderful story? A wonderful account of an event that actually happened in Jesus' life. May God add His blessings to the hearing and the reading of His holy word. You know, we, we know that Jesus often dined with people. We know that He called Zacchaeus down out of the tree. He says, come on, I must dine at your house. And He went and He dined with him. We know that just a couple chapters ago, as we're working through Luke, back in chapter 5, that He went and dined with Levi, a despised tax collector. And many guests. He threw a, he threw a grand party, remember? But here, He goes and dines with Simon. Jesus accepts hospitality, not only from publicans and sinners, but those thought to be the religious people, those that are supposed to be godly men. Why? Why does Jesus go and dine with these people? Because they all need to hear the good news. They all need to hear about God's grace and about His kingdom. You know, we don't know Simon's motive for inviting Jesus to dine in his house that day. We don't know his heart, but I think we'll, we'll get a little bit of an understanding of his heart as we go through here. We don't know if he was trying to find something that, which he could trap Jesus in or just wanted to hear his teaching. But I believe that Simon got more than he was hoping for that day. I think he got more than he was bargaining for. <clears throat> Again, we can see the amazing detail that, Luke's, that Luke uses to describe Jesus' ministry and some of the events that happened in Jesus' ministry. And you look at the detail. You know, she's using her tears to wipe and clean His feet and, and dries it with her hair and just all the conversation that goes on. But I think it's very significant that this woman's not named. It just says a woman of the city. It does not give us her name. Now some say, well, it, maybe it was Mary Magdalene. I don't believe it was. There's another time where another woman is anointing Jesus' feet, but it's right before His burial, before His death. This is a different event, a different occasion. But the significance that I believe in the unnaming of this woman, that Luke didn't give her name, I think is because she's not lifted up. She's not esteemed by doing this thing. But it's her actions. Her actions are. It's most, that's the most important thing, that he expresses the actions that this woman did to express her love. And when we should seek all that we do shouldn't be for our edification, not to lift ourselves up, but for him, to humbly bow before him. That's what she was doing here. She humbled herself before him. She was not exalting herself. So I think there's a significance that she was unnamed. But all the world is able to read this story 
and read of the events that she did that day. You know, even with all the detail, there are some questions. Questions that we ask, could ask ourselves. Questions because their culture was so different from ours today. And you read this and you think, well, that really, I don't understand that. Why did that happen this way? So the first question I would ask myself, that I ask myself, is how was this woman, this unnamed woman, able to access Jesus? How was she able to get into that house and go right up behind him and start shedding her tears all over his feet? Because you know, in today's culture, if I invite you over for dinner, well, if Karen invites you over for dinner, <laughs> she does the cooking, most likely we're going to go in the house and close the door, we're going to sit down at the table and have dinner, right? Now, I guess if it's the summertime, we could maybe have a picnic outside. But most likely, we're going to be inside enjoying our dinner. People aren't going to be able to just come into the house and listen and be part of that dinner. But most commentaries agree that in that day, if there was a visiting rabbi or teacher that would come into a town that the Pharisee would invite them to dinner and their houses back then were very open. I don't have a picture or know exactly what they were like. You know, they didn't have screens on their windows and all that like we have or windows. They probably were open. They may have shutters that maybe they could have closed. I'm not sure. But they believed that they were very open. So they might have had these large windows where if they had shutters, maybe they were open. The doors were open. And this was intentional so that when these visiting teachers or rabbis would come and dine with the Pharisees, that the people could gather around, they could maybe lean on the window, listen to, what was, listen to the conversation, and see what was going on. And the doors were open so that the people could, could come in. They're not all going to sit down and partake of the food, but they could gather around and hear the wisdom that this teacher might share with the Pharisee or that the Pharisee might share. that They would just hear all the interaction going on. And there may be an element of pride in there that, that Pharisee could, well, I'm going to let all the people hear of my wisdom. But it's different than our culture today. They could gather around, they could go in, so that's how she was able to get in there and get right up behind Jesus. She could nudge her way through the crowd if there was a crowd. And most likely there was a crowd because everywhere Jesus went, there was a crowd that followed, right? You know, today, if we invited you over to dinner at the house and as soon as you walked in, I said, well, have a seat, get your shoes and socks off. I'm going to go get a pan of water so I can wash your feet. You're going to think, he's done one off his rocker. Because... That's not something that we do today. It's not a custom that we follow today, is it? But in that day, that was a custom. It was customary to wash a visitor's feet when they entered into their house. That was a common practice of that day. They'd enter into the home. My friends, not only was it a custom, it was a real necessity. A real necessity. Why? Because in those days, they didn't have nice pair of shoes like we have here or a nice pair of Nikes and socks to put on. They had sandals. 
They had sandals that had a sole and they would have leather straps to tie them to their feet. And then what were the roads like? Did they have nice asphalt roads to walk on? They did not. They had dirt roads or paths to walk on, which would mean they would be very dusty and grimy roads. So you've got to think about the climate over there. It's hot. So they're walking, they're sweating, their feet get damp from the heat. And then the dust swirls up there on their feet, mixes with the sweat, and you got clay. And You'd probably almost have to scrape it off sometimes. They'd be so grimy and, and just a, a mess. So it was a necessity to go into someone's house to be able to take those sandals off and get your feet washed, to get refreshed a little bit. And normally that task fell to the lowliest servant. If they had multiple servants, the one would be like, hey, I've been here for five years. You've only been here for three months. You're doing the foot washing. You go get the basin. I'm not doing it today. It would go to the lowliest servant. The feet in that day were considered the most unhygienic part of the body because they were so grimy and a mess from walking on the dirt roads. It was indeed a very humble task to wash someone's feet. It was a sign of hospitality though when someone came into your house that you would allow them to wash your feet and a sign of humility. The woman gladly humbled herself, gladly humbled herself at the feet of Jesus to wash her feet. Simon, on the other hand, the host, did not even respect Jesus enough to have a servant wash his feet. Total disrespect. We know that Jesus carried on the humble act of washing feet in John chapter 13, 2 through 7. And after they had enjoyed the Passover, at supper had ended. The devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, and that he had come from God and was going to God, he rose from the supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. I believe the example that Christ was setting to his disciples was one of humility, showing them that they would need to humble themselves. Not exalt themselves, but humble themselves. My friends, what an example for us. That we must humble ourselves before the Lord and humble ourselves before others. Our scripture in Luke also reveals that whenever you enter one's house, not only was it customary to wash their feet, they would typically greet their guest with a kiss. A kiss of greeting. And oil to anoint their heads. Jesus said to Simon in 44 through 46, and he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, which is the custom back then to show hospitality. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, 
But this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, which was for the refreshing. They need to be refreshed, have their feet washed, and have their head wiped off. But this woman has anointed my feet with the fragrant oil. The normal practice in those days, that if a guest came to your house, if they were of equal standing in society, that they would be greeted with a kiss on the lips. But if the guest was a lesser equal, they would get a kiss on the cheek. Jesus didn't even get a kiss on the cheek. So that reveals that Simon did not respect Jesus at all, actually. No oil, no kiss. So we can see by his actions that lack of respect. Thinking that he was better than Jesus. When this woman, the unnamed woman, heard that Jesus was at Simon's house, she took her alabaster flask with oil and anointed him. Normally, they would anoint the head. But you know, she may have went there with the intentions that she's going to anoint his head, but wind up anointing his feet. Maybe that's the first thing she came to, was his feet. We have to have a little visual here. If you come to my house today to eat, we're going to sit down to a table that's about this high. Or we might sit at the bar. Sit to the table about this high, and we've got chairs we're going to sit on, and we're going to be sitting about like this, right? Gathered around the table eating. In Jesus' day, did they have tables about that high? Hey, girls, did they have tables that high and chairs to sit on? They did not. They had very low tables, very low to the ground, and they would lay beside the tables. I know it said sat down, but they would lay down beside the table, prop their upper body up on one arm, and eat with the other. So the picture is, whether it's a rectangular table or a round table, they would be lying around the table, propped up with one hand, enjoying their meal with the other and having conversation but to, in order to get more people around the table, their legs would be bent at the knees and their feet would be back behind them. That's what it said, that she was behind Jesus. Now there's another option there that I also found in studying this out, that they would possibly have been laying on their bellies, feet prop, head propped up rather, and their feet straight out behind them. You could get a lot of people around the table that way, right? <clears throat> so, but either way, his feet was behind him. And I think it would be a little more comfortable laying on your side than laying on your belly trying to eat. But, but that's why his feet was behind him. And that would be why the first thing she came to was his feet. The first thing she saw was his grimy, filthy feet. You know, there's a, not much revealed about this woman apart from this story. But you know, it would appear that she had previously been present during one of Jesus' teaching ministries. It would appear that she had already repented of her sins and believed on Jesus Christ. And here, when she comes into Simon's house, she is just completely overwhelmed with the joy that is flooding her soul and it's coming out of her eyes in tears. She's overwhelmed with the joy of the forgiveness that she has found from her sins. She's overwhelmed with the salvation that Jesus freely gave to her. 
And she's expressing it. She found a way to express it. To wash her, his feet with her tears. You know, we've probably known some people that thought and have said, Oh, I don't believe the Lord can forgive me because my sins are so great. I know people that have said that. God can't forgive me. I'm, I'm just a terrible sinner. My sins are so great. Her sins were great. Her sins were great. She's not crying because she's fearful. She's not crying because what people might think of her. She's bawling her eyes out because Jesus was willing to forgive her. Because it said her sins were many. Her sins were many. Luke does not give us the detail of this woman's sins. But most believe that she was most likely a prostitute. But whether she was a prostitute or not, that's not the most important thing. We do know that he was referring to her when hers, when he spoke of the 50 denarii, the 500. Hers was the 500. They were great. So whatever her sins were, they were great. And she was forgiven much. Therefore, she loved much. Simon recognized the woman's sins. The whole town, I'm sure, knew that she was a sinner because he thought to himself, this man was truly a prophet. He would know what kind of woman that was that was touching him. I'll guarantee you Simon wouldn't allow her to touch him. But he recognized her sins, but failed to recognize his own. He recognized her sins of commission things that she had done, but he failed to recognize his own sins of omission. Things that he did not do. He did not forgive. He did not supply Jesus with water and oil and a kiss. Matthew 7, verses 1-5 through says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment that you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Simon was playing the hypocrite here did not recognize his own sins. I truly feel that the key point of this entire passage in Luke is verses 41 and 42. There was a certain creditor. Who is the creditor in this story? It is God. God is the creditor. There is a certain creditor who had two debtors. I know there's way more than two debtors, but this is just an illustration. Who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50 denarii. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me therefore, which of them loved him more? A denarii in those days, a denarii would be a day's wages for an agricultural worker. So that's one day's wages. So 50 denarii, you figure you don't work seven days a week. I'm sure they probably worked six. So 50 denarii would be 
a little bit more probably than a month and a half, close to two months' wages. But the 500 denarii would be between a year and a half and two years' worth of wages. That's quite a debt to have to pay. Do you have two years of wages that you could pay a debt? Stuck back in a sock somewhere? Probably not. You may not like this, but whether it was 50 or whether it's 500, they're both sinners. Whether your sin is little or whether it is great, we're still sinners. Sin is sin. Whether it's great or whether it's small. And I think that's the main point here. To be aware of the sin. Be aware of sin in our lives. Our own lives. And know whether it is great or small. Whether it's one denarii or 5,000 denarii. They separate us from God. Our sins is what separate us from God. The woman was forgiven much. She was overwhelmed. She humbled herself. In 1830, there was a man named George Wilson that was arrested for mail theft. And the penalty in that day for mail theft was hanging. Wow, have times changed, right? (laughs) Hanging. But after a time, President Andrew Jackson gave Wilson a pardon. But he refused to accept it. The authorities were puzzled as to what they should do. Should he be freed or should he be hanged? They consulted then Chief Justice John Marshall, who handed down this decision. He said a pardon is a slip of paper, the value of which is determined by the acceptance of the person to be pardoned. If it is refused, it is no pardon. George Wilson must be hanged because he refused to accept it. The woman accepted Jesus' pardon. He said to her, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. She wasn't saved because she loved much. She wasn't saved because she washed His feet and dried His feet and anointed His feet. She was saved because she had faith. He says, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. She washed His feet and did those things because she was saved. That's not how she was saved, but because she was saved, right? For those, anyone listening, if you've never accepted God's pardon, if you're here, if you've not accepted God's pardon, friends, now is the time. Today is the day. 2 Corinthians 6, 1-2 says, We then, as workers together with Him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For He says, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, but today. God has laid out His pardon there. It's there. We have to accept it. If we do not accept it, if we don't reach out and accept it, just like George Wilson would be hanged, put to death, if we do not receive, freely receive that gift that God has given. Do you need peace in your life? Jesus told the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace.
My friends, that's how we can have peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ. That is the only peace that is lasting. Romans 5, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Simon and the woman both had a great debt. But neither one could pay. Simon's debt was only 50 denarii. He probably thought he would have enough wealth that he could pay that kind of a debt if he really had that kind of a debt. Have you ever experienced a time where someone gave you something or did something for you and you tried to pay them and they refuse it? I've had people say, put your money back in your pocket. Your money's no good here. You've probably had someone say that to you. Your money's no good here. They're wanting to bless you. Your money is no good. Put it away. Well, friends, with God, our money, our deeds, our whatever we can do, whatever we think we might do, is not good enough. God's saying, your money is not good enough. You might as well put it back in your pocket. They had a debt. They could not. There's no way they could pay it. Why? Because our deeds or our money, whatever you want to look at, is soiled by sin. Let that sink in a minute. Our efforts are soiled by sin. They could not pay. We cannot pay. Only one can pay. And that's Jesus Christ. Because His money is not soiled by sin. He's the only one that lived a perfect, sinless life. The only one that can pay our debt. The pardon's there. We have to receive it. We have been forgiven much. I don't care if the only sin you ever committed was you told a little lie one day. It's still sin. You still need that pardon from God. I don't care if you were a murderer. The same debt has been paid by Jesus Christ. For murderers, for sinners, for, for, for liars, for thieves, for abusers. I don't care what the sin. Christ's payment was sufficient for all of our sins. Each and every one. We cannot pay it on our own. We just have to freely receive it, believe in Him, humble ourselves, and repent of our sins. Amen?